Welcome to Conversations at Mount Vernon's Washington Library. The Fred W. Smith National Library for the Study of George Washington at Mount Vernon serves as the premier resource for all who are interested in the study of George Washington and the revolutionary and founding eras. Every year, the library hosts numerous scholars who share our dedication to generate and disseminate new knowledge about all things Washington. The library's founding director, Dr. Douglas Bradburn, has the opportunity to sit down with these scholars to explore their research, and we are so excited to share those conversations with you. Well, hi everybody, welcome back. I'm Doug Bradburn, I'm the founding director of Fred W. Smith National Library for Study of George Washington here at Mount Vernon, and uh, I'm delighted to have with me today rising star author Louisa Thomas. Uh, who has a, a fantastic new book, which we're going to talk about uh, today. Uh, welcome, Louisa. Thanks for having me. So Louisa Thomas is an old hand at media. She is a longtime uh, former employee of ESPN, now a freelance uh, writer. Contributor to New Yorker's website. Yeah, so a contributor to New Yorker's website. You were one of those hot shots that were involved with Grantland during its golden age. <laughs> brief brief flare of <laughs> Well, people existence. will talk about this. They're like, oh, yeah, you're one of those Grantland authors. So. You know, sometimes it, um, I miss Grantland, and I think uh, the sports landscape misses it, too. But we were a little bit lucky to get, like, nipped in the bud because, you know, yeah. everybody remembers something fondly, you know. Yeah, well, that's right. You can have this sort of mythic reputation that grows over time, of course, everybody can still read it, right? Or is it yeah. gone? Yeah, uh, no, it's, it's absolutely still online. Yeah, now, um, now there is The Ringer now, right? Isn't that the sort of new version? Is Yeah, Bill Simmons' new yeah. outfit is uh, is The Ringer, and it's yeah. actually edited by my old editor, Grant Land. Sean Fantasy is a fantastic guy, so. Yeah. yeah. Is it the same kind of thing, like sort of all over the map, or is it, uh, yeah, it's, is it uh, more focused? Or? Uh, they also do politics and technology, so it's hmm. sort of like a expanded version of they need more of history. More history. Well, clearly, everybody needs more history. Yeah, absolutely. So you, uh, though, um, I mean, I guess you identify yourself as a writer. You want to be a writer of books, a yeah, biographer. Absolutely. Your first book isn't a biography. My first book is um, is history. Sort of love. My first book is actually a, about World War One, about four brothers in World War One, two um, conscientious objectors and two soldiers. Um, one of them, two soldiers, two pacifists, one family, a test of will and faith in World War One. That's a, the un, impossibly long subtitle. The, the title is just Conscience. <laughs> oh, it is? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Sorry, I missed that. Yeah, no worries. Conscience. Yeah. Um, yeah, no, it's uh, that was about my great-grandfather and his three brothers and um, about the kind of family drama of mm. their different um, perspectives and paths and yeah. kind of deep-seated commitment to to this idea of doing what was right at a moment, which the, the country was kind of figuring out um, who it was. How did you decide to write that? Because you, you cut your teeth on sports writing. No, I actually, well, I was at the New Yorker at the time um, as assistant to the editor, and I decided that um, I came across um, some letters, actually, that the brothers had exchanged in which they were trying to work out some of these mm -hmm. beliefs, and I, I realized that... Um, I really didn't actually know very much about World War One. You know, it's this monumental, you know, cataclysmic event in world one. history, yeah. and not only in world history, but actually in American history. Um, you know, it really changed the course of America's involvement in the world, mm -hmm. and it's actually its perception of itself. So, yeah. um, you just said the 100-year anniversary of America's involvement. Yeah, in the world, right? exactly. 
your book was timed for the 100th year anniversary of the actual the whole war starting or you hadn't thought <laughs> <about>? <laughs> my book was timed for you know the day it was finished <laughs> yeah, um but yeah, yeah i hadn't really game planned very well um and so i i left to do that and i also actually thought i was going to be some sort of um sort of serious writer you know and so write about war and i wanted to like write literary criticism and yeah. things like that and um and then when i was waiting for that book to come out um and really kind of avoiding um starting my next book <laughs> I, uh, I started writing about tennis yeah. and um, well first I started playing tennis to avoid doing work and then I started writing about tennis to avoid um, yeah. doing work and uh, that sort of turned into my to, into my work um, and so I, I started writing about sports that way but um, yeah I mean I my first book was uh, a pretty I think it's a pretty fascinating story um, it definitely felt in some ways like a first book. <laughs> yeah, well, and it's about your family, too. That, so that's kind of an interesting twist. It's, yeah. I don't even know if that has a name. It's not a, Obviously, it's not an autobiography. So. Well, that's the state out of it. So yeah. um, there are definitely, definitely different ways you can approach that kind of project. Um, there is no memoir in it. You know, I mean, really, right. the only kind of... You didn't, like, talk to a Grammy somebody about their memory of their dad. No, I mean, I definitely talked to people and knew the people to get a sense of who they were. But the, really, the the best, I mean, it was a family story insofar as, like, I had letters in my attic, you know. So <laughs> yeah. I had a lot of yeah. access that I might not have otherwise had. Um, but, you know, I, also, I still, there are also letters all around the country. There are letters in yeah. California and letters in the New York Public Library and letters in, I spent a lot of time in the National, you know, archives. Um kind of doing the same thing that any other historian would do. It just so happened that, yeah. you know, these people are my ancestors. <laughs> yeah, right. Well, we're all related. It's Yeah, exactly. People always think I'm related to Louisa Catherine Adams because we share a first name, but we are not at all related. Yeah, it's interesting because first names are usually not how you test whether people are related. It's the last name. It's that's true. The, that's the key. People, people but, actually have, yeah. I mean, I really, I've one thing I've discovered, not so much when I write the books, but... Um, both this book and the second book, first book, um, when I have question answer sessions yeah. um, at talks, people really want to talk about my relationship with these people. I mean, yeah. certainly on the first book, they really wanted to talk about the family aspect of it. And and this one, I was like, I inevitably get asked, you know, well, did you write yeah. this because you have right. the same name? Of and course, yeah. and also uh, sometimes I am asked, are you a descendant? You know, and and people really want to know how like your personal connection yeah. and your personal story and how you, this intertwines. Well, this is, well the, the book Louisa, we mm -hmm. have to say the book, <laughs> not the author. The book Louisa is an intimate portrait of this person. So I can see why that's kind of, they want to know that, yeah. you know, about you, like what's your personal connection? Because this is a very personal study. Oh, absolutely. It was, a, I mean, it felt very personal in a yeah. lot of ways. Not even personal about me, but, you know, I really... Well, you're digging around in her private letters, exactly. A, and then you're, like, an analyzing her private thoughts. Yeah. Um, taking a lot of liberties here. You know? Well, you know, I mean, I'm really lucky because, yeah. and I actually feel like she is one of the very few people I've ever encountered as a person who does, you know, historical research, who I could do this with because she wrote so much about how she thought and felt. Yeah. I mean, in a way that was just extremely 
rare and often too much you know yeah. often I was like stop it <laughs> you know you're tell I mean I just almost like cringed for her sometimes yeah. because she was so emotionally raw yeah um but it's also I mean this stuff is gold for a biographer you know what I mean and there were times where you sort of had to um either read things skeptically um put yeah. them in context there are times where you also have to sort of um you can't take on their face value exactly and sometimes also you have to you have to remember that some things are written hot you know, like what yeah. what's the context right. in which they're right. being writ written? Yeah. Um, but you have to also really kind of you have to read a lot so that you start to be able to be a credible of judge of yeah. these people. Yeah. Um, well, history is a challenging genre because you got to know so much to be able to make sense of the sources that you're looking at. Uh, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. And you you clearly you're jumping from the World War One period, which you learned a lot about for that right. and all of a sudden you're back why did how did you find louisa through her letters catherine adams <laughs> Are you the catherine johnson adams i was um doing yeah. i after college i did um independent research for a couple of historians um yeah. one of them was uh john meacham mm -hmm. and uh i was working on his book about andrew jackson, jackson. Yeah, yeah right okay and that's when i came across her and letters. Like, hey, Meacham, put more of this woman in your story. And he's like, no, American lion. She actually, a couple lioness. of a couple of his chapter yeah. headings are quotes from her letters. Yeah. She's, uh, and uh, she, she was different. Yeah. And, you know, I was so used to coming across these um, people who were either restrained in some way because out of either propriety or, you know, some sort of limits on, or some sort of, like, educational, you know, kind of... Um, mm -hmm. Or they were writing for posterity if they were men. They're writing for their future biographers, right. you know. Or they, for whatever reason, they are players. Exactly, and, you know. They're, they're sort they of like, <laughs> <laughs> um, and yeah. you know, and she just was like completely unrestrained in her writing, and she was very funny also. Well, well I think you 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 got when you said she was different. I mean, I think that's really, I mean, that's her in one little way to describe her. She's very different. Yeah. Not, I mean, even when you think about, oh, it's a women's history, you're going to get this story of, you know, of women's history and parlor politics. But she's very different from absolutely the typical women's women that we yeah. see. Yeah, I mean, she's different from she's yeah. different from Dolly Madison. She's different yeah. from Abigail Adams. She's different from you know the kind of like anonymous yeah. women that we don't. I mean, she's, she's not really clearly an American or a Brit or European. I mean, she's sort of all kinds of different uh, things. And one of the things that's like both interesting I mean she both in that way is an exception to but also reflects yeah. you know the period in that way because this yeah. is a moment when the country is not quite mm -hmm. not quite American not quite British yeah. not quite united not quite separate you know and it's a, yeah. sort of this way in which it was interesting to see the world through eyes be partly because she had so much kind of you know internal the discord you yeah. know and it was kind of in some ways reflected the kind of internal discord of the country, but also of the world. I mean, one of the things I really hope um, comes across in this book is that um, this is an interesting moment, not just for the United States, but um, you know, in, in Europe as well. I mean, this is yeah. a transatlantic story and mm -hmm. she's a transatlantic person and um, seeing how all of these things sort of fit together is yeah. I think often really kind of revealing. Extraordinary age of transformation. All right, so let's take a step back then, all right. so. Louisa, The Extraordinary Life of Mrs. Adams. So, so this is a book about Louisa Catherine Johnson Adams, who lives from when? She was born in 1775. All right, so 1775, important year in American history. It happens at just a few, she was born a few months uh, before the first shots at uh, 
Lexington okay. and Concord. All right. So she was born sometime between December and April of seventy. February twelfth. Yeah. Not December. January. <laughs> so February twelfth. Okay. Good. All right. And then uh, she dies when? Eighteen fifty-two. Right. So she dies in eighteen fifty-two, which is a short time before the Civil War. You know, people often said that um, in the in the eulogies of. Uh, John Quincy Adams and in the kind of histories written about him afterward, people said that you could see in his life the history of the country's first half century. And I actually think in some ways that was even more true of her. I mean, the kind of historical coincidences um, that you could mark her life with were, were just extraordinary. Yeah. I mean, and not just in the United States. I mean, her daughter dies in Moscow on the same day that St. Petersburg is set on fire. You know, I mean, there's just this kind of sense of her life being played out on this like very grand scale, yeah. you know. Yeah, that's a, a great canvas, right? That she's sort of up there at the scene the whole time. So it's an extraordinarily dynamic, dramatic uh, story. Um, and, and so, okay, so that's the other basic fact. You, you told the, everybody, so she is somehow connected with John Quincy Adams. <laughs> she yeah. is uh, married to him, <laughs> right. so pretty intimately yeah. connected. <laughs> yeah. um, sometimes I think she probably felt pretty estranged <laughs> um, yeah. and was very aware of their disconnection. Yeah. Um, but they were very much uh, intertwined, yeah. you know. Okay, so but she's not, uh, well, she's not born in America. She's born in London. London, yep. She, not, well, how does that... How does that work out for her? I mean, she's 1775. Is she a Brit? What is she? Her father um, is an American from Maryland um, and an, a, mer a merchant in London. And um, he falls for a British girl, um, Catherine Johnson, who was very charming and pretty and mm -hmm. ambitious. And um, they have a whole kind of brood of girls and one boy why is he how does he how does he come into a path of a british girl that doesn't sound right uh it's a good question it's a sort of like there's a there was a long mystery associated with louise's mother yeah. um in fact uh this was always the subject of speculation for many um historians and biographers of louise and john quincy adams and and actually this is the the first book with an answer. Um, hey, all right. We're yeah, right exactly. Um, Get so. the Twitter feed ready. Get the news <laughs> reels ready. This could be on first take. There you go. Um, Henry Adams hired a genealogist in, in London to sort of track down her mother. Um, You've outdone Henry Adams. I right? have. Not you everybody know, can say that. Exactly. So I did the same <laughs> thing and had more luck. Um, uh -huh. So, but I mean, there are a couple ways that he could have um, met her. Her mother, or sorry, her father was a... Um, a, a shoemaker, a good shoemaker, yeah. and uh, he was a merchant. So, and he bought shoes, you know, and brought them, sent them back to the U.S. So yeah. it could have been through that. Um, they, she lived right around the corner from him. She could have yeah. just run into him. Um, mm -hmm. You know, they're sort of. We don't know. We actually don't know how they met. We don't know. And it's not um, clear that they got married. They didn't get married until much later. They got married when she was ten. Um, they passed as. No, they got though. married when or their daughter was ten. Yeah, when yeah. Louisa was ten. Right. So um, they passed as married though, and that was um, and there there has been a lot of speculation that um, Louisa well, knew or didn't know. Is that common law wife? Is that how does that work? Well, this is actually an interesting moment. They had many kids together. They had a lot of kids <laughs> together. Um, everybody yeah. knew them as. Mr. and Mrs. As Johnson, okay, um, right. mm -hmm. and when they got married, um, they had you know two witnesses, and one of them was a, a close friend, mm -hmm. and the other one, um, from his frequent appearance in the parish registers, 
appears to be someone who was just on hand at church, yeah, you know? Right. Exactly. Yeah. Um, so they did this in very much in secret. Um, yeah. But in, there was, you know, we, we kind of th- often think of history as linear and, and because like the Victorians followed, you know, the 18th right. century, so we sort of tend to think like, oh my gosh, that would have been such a scandal, you right. know, and, right. and it was, it, but there would actually had just been laws passed about how you could get like, what is the proper way in which to get married? You know, this ban- declaration bans and right. you know who could get married and where and who had to how many witnesses and all this stuff. And the reason that those laws had gone into place was that there was a lot of um, yeah. shenanigans. Mm-hmm. You know, so it was not as uncommon as you would think yeah. for there to be sort of unusual arrangements. Yeah, you don't really have the sort of middle class mores of the yeah. 19th century yet. Uh, but th- but it was starting to sort of come into. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, this is the time in which. You know, this is right before the kind of Regency. This is right before all this kind of like spectacular tabloid journalism, right. in a way, has right. and scandals about you know, yeah. um, people you know, high high and low and all this stuff. So, so it was in the air, um, mm-hmm. but um, certainly it was not a scandal. The thing that that did happen was that um, everybody back in Maryland knew that they weren't married, mm. and. Uh, Therefore, when John Quincy Adams was running for president, um, you know, those rumors resurfaced and were used as mm-hmm. part of the smear campaign against him, which yeah. was incredibly painful to Louisa. Um, mm. So we don't actually know whether or not she knew her parents weren't married right. when yeah. she was a kid. She was 10 when they got married, yeah. However, we do know that it's pretty likely that she knew that people were saying that they weren't married mm. when she was an adult, you know, and she, mm-hmm. one of the reasons why I think she became so kind of um, incensed and, and outraged and also felt personally like implicated in American political culture is that, you know, this thing that would have been incredibly, I mean, by now we are in the Victorian era, there are these yeah. kind of scandals, yeah. you know, it would have been incredibly painful. She's already so defensive about her parents, right. you know, that yeah. it's so, um, just imagine the shock. Well, I mean, it's not these, a story she wants to relive. Oh yeah, I mean, and it, and it was told in a pretty vile way. I mean, it was told. It's like in the establishment newspapers and the this sort of like United States Telegraph, like this the main. It's like yeah. the New York Times or you know the kind of version of the Washington Post or whatever, writing as if yeah. it were the New York Post. You know, well, yeah. So it would be, I guess, the equivalent of somebody running something really nasty about Melania Trump's or, right parents or. Right. I mean, it, it would be the kind of equivalent. I mean, people had, you know, the, she sued yeah. the you right. know well, Daily exactly. Mail about yeah. this. Yeah. And that's so. the kind of thing that, you yeah. know, um, yeah. would have um, would have been done. But nobody yeah. you couldn't. Right. There's there was no, no recourse. recourse. Exactly. Yeah. All right. Well, let's get back to the, the, the main event. then. so uh, Louisa is one of the daughters of uh, Joshua Johnson mm-hmm. and Catherine. Catherine. Yep. Newth. 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 Yeah. I'll take your word for that. Okay. <laughs> Um, and uh, but there's many daughters. Yep. Or, and there's many siblings, I guess. Yep. And the daughters are uh, we're in this age. Yeah, I saw you. Well, you quote uh, Pride and Prejudice right in the early early goings of this book. So you're a Pride and Prejudice fan and a Jane Austen fan. You or? know, as it happens, Louisa was it? born in the same year as Jane Austen. Yeah. So this is the world in which we're coming out of. I mean, yeah. I, I, Jane Austen actually was very useful to me in in mm-hmm. one respect. Um, I. I went back and read all the novels as I was doing this. And what you realize, if you don't read them as either little R or big R capital, uh, you know, romantic novels, Mm -hmm. 
and actually read them as kind of more, you realize that that they're actually about money, mm -hmm. yeah, <laughs> you know, right. and yeah. everybody has a dollar sign attached and marriages yeah. are alliances. Well, and and, it, and they're and they're the women in that family are right in the in the sweet spot for what, you know, what she's writing. Exactly. Women who are genteely raised, who don't have options yeah. really other than to become married to somebody with money. So Absolutely. they can continue their genteel lifestyle. So, I mean, Instead it was extremely cycle. useful, yeah. you know, for like a yeah. kind of worldview yeah. thing. I mean, it really helped explain some things to me. I mean, it's yeah. not a, it's not the kind of book you can read for facts and their important right. differences right. and their, you know, situations, but... Um, it's the sensibility. Exactly. The it's the sensibility yeah. of the moment. And, um, <laughs> yeah, I mean, I actually, I had sort of like um, different novels actually kind of had sort of spiritual influences on different parts of the book and yeah. the beginning definitely is yeah. um kind yeah. of inflected with jane austen it's, yeah well you get it, it's really well done i mean i think that it, it isn't done i don't want to give the the listeners out there the impression that it's some kind of just pastiche on, on you know on austen at all it's it's really a beautiful way to sort of understand kind of the the opportunities and limitations of how she was raised and what she was raised for i mean it's also i mean one of the things, you know, early in the book, you have these, um, the three older girls were all yeah. kind of, they had all been introduced to society, which meant that they were, you know, yeah, marriageable, marriageable um, and it was time to get a husband. And, mm -hmm. and of course, there were all these things that you couldn't talk about what that meant, you know, or what it meant about me having to leave your family and it meant mm -hmm. I had sex and all these things. And it, and they were still children in a lot of ways. Yeah. And the way that they sort of played games with each other about their suitors was really interesting to me mm -hmm. and also something you know you can sort of see in the Bennett sisters or something I yeah, mean there's sort of yeah. this kind of like yeah, there's and, a rivalry exactly there's a jealousy there's a support but there's also this way in which they they both have no control over whether or not they're going to be chosen and yet right. they sort of pick among each other you know who's who's right. is who yeah. and yeah. you know they sort of assign like little kind of characteristics to each and little pet little names and things yeah. like that right. and um you know it's and tease each other it's and it's much later night kind of uh programs than, than than you get from the novels you know like people are staying until three in the morning oh yeah morning. i mean it's it's These definitely uh and that's actually something that you think a ball we've ever seen you know balls all the time and yeah i mean it's actually yeah. something that i was struck by frequently is how late they, I mean, in, when they're in Russia, yeah. their nights are ending at like five in the morning, and I just, I can't even do that one night. And by then, they're, in, you know, they're, in, they're old, you know. Yeah. And uh, you're it's just only in like, your thirties. I mean, that's not bad. I even, you know, I'm in my thirties. I can't dating do that. Louisa Thomas is dating herself. Right <laughs> people in their late thirties are old. But one of the things is, people are always like, "Oh, she's so sickly," and I'm just yeah. thinking, you try well, and she be. She is sickly. Come on. She now. is sickly for sure. But yeah. you try and like have constant miscarriages well, that, and then yeah. I mean, you know and yeah. then be out in a corset until you know All five hours, in the morning yeah, drinking, drinking exactly and drinking alcohol garbage. and exactly yeah. eating yeah. you know <laughs> she has this amazing description of some of these dinners and, and she mm -hmm. it sometimes really captures the sort of like gaudy vileness you know she talks about the mm -hmm. the the um the meat quivering with fat yeah. you know i mean just yeah, like yeah. the stuff that you know it sounds at once like very luxurious and just disgusting <laughs> yes right well once in a while that might work out right this yeah night after night yeah exactly and you're required to be yeah exactly she describes the, yeah the quivering meat and and you're required to be there it's sort of the yeah. job 
Yeah. It is the job. It's not just part of the job. Yeah, okay. So, well, all right. So back, So she meets John Quincy Adams because he's an American in London and the Johnson House is where Americans go. The Joshua Johnson is the American consul in London. Mm-hmm. Um, and his brother is a, a Maryland governor. His brother is governor of Maryland. Um, uh, Thomas Jefferson is the one who gives him his commission. Um, he had he had been of, of help to the United States and to Maryland um, during yeah. the revolution. Right. And he kind of also was, he had uh, all the social kind of graces and connections in London. And mm-hmm. his house was known to be a place that was very welcoming to um, Americans. And they would come and pick up their mail and talk about business and then yeah. stay for dinner. And then they would stay after dinner to listen to yeah. the Johnson girls, the very pretty Johnson girls, play the harp, you know, mm-hmm. sing for them. And yeah, Louisa was a singer and yep. her older daughter, her older Nancy, sister Nancy yeah. played the piano forte. Exactly, and, and yeah. Caroline played the harp. And yeah, um, how many, so many accomplishments. <laughs> they all draw, they all play, they dance. I mean, they were very they much, uh, they were yeah. well-trained to, to, yes. to find a mate. Um, and all, you know, also, they, yeah. That mother did really well for her kids. I mean, when you consider this is a... Well, she was a, yeah, a shoemaker's daughter. Exactly, and someone who didn't actually get married until, you know, she had five mm-hmm. children or something. Mm-hmm. Um, she, uh, she, every single one of her yeah. uh, children married, except for her son, um, who never, who died a bachelor. Um, and this is the kind of irresponsible speculation where I'm like... Hmm. Yeah. <laughs> That's a story I would actually be kind of interested. He actually went to New Orleans and um, hmm. became a postmaster general down there or something. Um, he knew the right family. Yeah, exactly. Um, so but she did an extraordinary job. The, the she did an, she she did her job. You know, her job. Yeah. She saw her job as as marrying off her girls, mm-hmm. and she uh, did very well for herself. So John Quincy Adams has got a really exacting parents. Yes, and uh, and yet, and, and he marries this woman in London, uh, really without them knowing who she is at all. I mean, there it's you can do some pretty cheap psychological. Let's see, what year are we in here? We're in like seventeen ninety five or six. Or yeah, we the, he meets right. her in seventeen ninety five. Okay, um, they marry. So George in Washington is president. That's right. George Washington Wonderful. is president. Greatest president ever. And they uh, named their first child after George Washington, which must have angered John. Oh my gosh, they heard about it, and Louisa was. Um, and blame Louisa. <laughs> yeah. Well, her father loved George Washington. Yeah, exactly. George Washington. Yeah. yeah, and they sort of, um, Abigail very kind of openly reported how offended uh, John Adams was by uh, the yeah. choice of, mm-hmm. of name. No doubt he was. Um, I'm sure he was, and I'm also sure that she was. it was a little bit passive-aggressive. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, well, John Quincy Adams, in your book, comes off as a really neurotic mess uh, at a point. Oh, uh, I mean... Uh, at a po- up to a point, he he was. I mean, his I mean, journal even his is so. Uh, I mean, he's tortured. So, he, yeah, he's tortured. He he doesn't think he's working hard enough. Yeah, I mean, he's, the the he's journal not disciplined enough. He's not learning enough languages. He's not working on enough things. It's he's insane. Got, he's that nine year old. A nine year old. Yeah. I've, I've got twelve and thirteen. Years. <laughs> if they could write a letter like that. I'd be like, they're geniuses. It's amazing. Yeah. I mean, he wrote his the first excellent letter that we have is to his yeah. father, and it's saying. I've been spending too much time playing with birds' eggs and chasing, you know, picking flowers. And I haven't, I'm only halfway through a small history of the world or Europe or whatever, you know, and it's just ridiculous. And um, it intended to be halfway through. Yeah, exactly. I am determined. You could lay out on paper for me a way to 
study or do more I will follow it and, and it's, it's like, like ends I am determined to do better you know and it's just and that yeah. is the story of his life you know yeah. and and when he's in London and he meets Louisa I mean this is this interlude in his life in which yeah. um, he relaxes for yeah. a moment and he goes he goes to this house where imagine I mean think about this house for a second it is um, comfortable it's luxurious but not kind of in your face it's they've got all these pretty girls he really likes pretty girls this is something we this is a consistent theme in his life. Yes, um, I can't stand being distracted by all these yeah. girls. And he's just like, I am, he's like, I am so miserable. I'm having such a good time. It's terrible. Like, literally, that is how his diaries read. You know, he's like, wherefore must this be so yeah. pleasing? It's I mean, that's like a quote. Yeah, yeah exactly. Right. Yeah. I mean, he refers to these dissipation. Well, like wherefore must this be so pleasing? That's very nice. He later writes um, a memorial of Williams Van Mur Murray, who's yeah. this very important right. figure in um, American history and also a good friend of his. And mm -hmm. He writes, he really admires Ms. Murray because in when he comes to London, when Murray comes, Van Murray comes to London, he's able to, and he goes on this long reverie about downy beds and beautiful women and laughter and like just happiness. Yeah. And he goes, he successfully resisted all that, you know, and he's just like, sort of thinking, like, poor guy, you yeah. know? Yeah, well, Quincy Mass, right? Frenzy right. Um, and, yeah. and so there's this way in which Louisa was at once, um, he was sort of attracted to the whole family, but also resistant to it. Did she like conflict. him, or did she just like the idea of having, getting married to some person who's a person in the world? I mean, She it, needs to find a husband, that's what she's trying to do. I mean, that's a good question, I think. She didn't like some of the people, like the old man Trumbull. Yeah, I mean, I think it's a, it's a the answer is gonna be really complicated, because, yeah. for two reasons. Um, one is um, what we know about her courtship she wrote retrospectively at a kind of unhappy time in her life. Mm. And so it's a little bit hard to oh, know. Oh, right, yeah, the retrospective. Yeah, right. exactly. She wrote a number of these sort of memoir right. type things. Yeah. But we do. We also Which do have was their... was Was it the history of a nobody? Re or? Record of a life. Record of a life. But okay. we also do have our contemporaneous letters to and from him, right. and those are kind of... They're like written as if like they were like form love letters. Only all she could really say was like yeah. the usual kind of flowery language, and also how much she hated to write. Yeah, um, she was clearly very. That was interesting to me too. That that section where you're drawing that out. So he is, they're courting, and I think they get engaged, and then he. Although that's an interesting story in and of itself. He goes back to the Hague, or he's in Europe, and uh, and she's in London, and they start corresponding, and that's really the first time we see her as a correspondent. Yeah. And so she's trying to play this role. I mean, all those novels are epistolary novels. Yeah, I mean, So there's plenty absolutely. of examples of how to write love letters. But she doesn't feel comfortable. She doesn't have the education for it. She doesn't hasn't done it. By her own admission, these are her first letters, like, ever. Yeah. You know, I don't know if that's yeah. true, um, but she, that's what she says. And yeah. um, It's probably her first real correspondence. Exactly. You know, you know not notes a, and things like that. An ongoing dialogue with somebody of importance. And, and she's already engaged to marry this person. So, yeah. you know... It's terrifying, and she knows how learned he is, and right. um, he's not a person that wears his learning lightly. Exactly, either. and and he's very didactic he this whole toward thing her. With like uh, my philosophy, yeah, know, he's such a pain. He I mean, is such a pain. Smack him, it's pretentious. And I think she wanted to smack him too. Yeah. I mean, one of the things that's really hard is that she both. Um, I think she was. I think that they were attracted to each other. I think that actually 
is very clear throughout their life. Do you think there was some out of wedlock uh, situation happening there? I mean, was there some out of wedlock sex at all? <laughs> that was one of the rumors um, yeah. after when he was running for president. But um, well, like when Catherine goes to visit him and it's like, are you going to propose to this woman yeah. or what? I mean. There's a couple ways to read it. One is he's just a dope who came right. around to it, doesn't know if his parents would approve, yeah. and he's you know naturally sort of shy and diffident about this stuff, and and also isn't sure if she's the right one. Um, there we have no evidence that there was. We also know yeah. that she got pregnant all the time, and she did not get pregnant then. So well, that's right. You yeah. know, there's evidence right. in that. Res- I mean, obviously, okay. there's right. nothing. Well, you but you took all the fun out of it. Yeah, okay. so but 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 yeah. we do know that they were physically attracted to each other at that moment. And we also know that she didn't really have a choice, you yeah. know, and she didn't feel like it was her choice in some ways. So she had to convince herself that, you know, originally he was supposed to be Nancy's right. person and, and there was well, some sort of trauma. Old. Exactly. You got to get the oldest married off first. And uh, there was sort of, sort of like household drama and trauma in, mm. in the fact that she was the chosen one. So that was really difficult yeah. and upset yeah. household, you know, harmony. Um, mm-hmm. So all this stuff is like not only bound up in their own relationship, but in, in all this kind of contextual confusion, yeah. you know. So I think a lot of and, and meanwhile, John Quincy she's is at young. once. She's 20. Yes, 21, 20, exactly. In there, right? He's 28. And Ish. and it's also just confusing because on the one yeah. hand, he's very tender toward her. I mean, he's not the John Quincy that is in the, you know, the sort of stern later John Quincy. Yeah. He's I mean, it's clear that he um is a very, very affectionate with her and very tender toward her and loving in a lot of ways. But he's also like diffident and confusing yeah. and also uh, kind of patronizing toward her. So, that, I mean, there's all this kind of, and she can't read his Im- intentions and, yeah. you know, and, and I think probably she can't really read her own heart sometimes. So I think that um, there's a lot of, uh, of confusion. I don't actually think that's like, so unusual for a 20 year old yeah, <laughs> you know I mean, yeah, it's very kind yeah, of like yeah because um, there's all these expectations about how you're supposed to behave and what you're supposed to feel but exactly it's the first time yeah ever and that sort of thing um I mean, it's not like she's instagramming when she's 13 years old exactly i mean somewhere she's had suitors before but they weren't um serious in the same way mm-hmm. there was more it felt more like a game and this is a, a kind of especially confusing because it begins as a game i mean that's right you know, um, but it turns into something kind of uh, scarily real, yeah, and right. and that's, that's that's how it ends. The marriage, yeah. at some point, yeah. And it's and it's hard because well, that's how it's supposed to end. And there's this way in which, you know, her whole life is like leading up to this moment, and the moment yeah. comes, and then, but it doesn't really come because he leaves, yeah. And they don't get married before he goes, and so she's sort of just waiting for him to yeah. return. And at first, he's incredibly tender, and I miss you so much, and all this stuff. And then they have this kind of you know, this series of little conflicts that become bigger yeah, because conflicts. because she's going to go to the United States yeah. with her family whose father's run out of money and his yeah. debts are coming to call, so he's got to get out of Dodge. And then John Quincy's getting appointed to Portugal, and so was, are they going to get married before he does this or what? Yeah. And also there's this way in which, yeah. like, the further he gets from that kind of comfortable scene on right. Tower Hill, yeah. the more he sort of, like, is in his parents' grip and, and he kind of remembers his duty and his books and, you know, all this <laughs> kind of, like, gets back to, like, yes. Tacitus and things. Person. Yes. And he, he even writes these letters, he's like, I'm not the man that you met when I was, like, lazy and <laughs> enjoying myself. <laughs> you know, I'm a serious, exactly. Uh, yeah. My life is for my country and my parents and all this stuff. And, and his parents are sort of, like, 
getting their grip back on him and Mm -hmm. he sort of starts to distance himself from her and she consents it and this makes her insecure and i mean it's just kind of like familiar you know kind of psychodrama you know in, in relationships but it but it's also exacerbated by the fact that you know you it's not like you could just like call each other email each other i mean they're yeah. writing these letters that have to you know yeah. Yeah. cross bodies they're of water and yeah exactly yeah, so, so a, sometimes these conflicts are sort of like they one of them would offer a, a peace you know there would be like a peace offering or something nice said yeah. but the other one would have already sent like a letter that opens up you know re- yeah. exacerbates you yeah. know and so it's sort of this kind of a dramatic thing but but eventually they do get married you know and and well that's her name louisa mrs adams yeah there you go yeah so that's uh, giving not giving away the end of the book it's always with histories everybody knows the ending (laughs) but they don't if they don't know the story and they don't know the story of her because she's so extraordinary you know one of the things that i actually really enjoyed about this book and i felt uh makes it different than a lot of biographies that are written about early american history is that um because a lot of these figures tend to be kind of familiar to us, yeah. we tend to sort of like regard them as like fixed quantities. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, yeah. sort of say like, oh, That's right. this is their character, this is what they did, you know. And then there's this like long, s- and th- that person might be like a characterized by conflict or, you know, confusion or, you know, you could have like the different portraits of George Washington or right, Thomas or Jefferson or, is, yeah, exactly. Sphinx, you know? Yeah, he's exactly. A, he's the Danube. Uh, and then you have all these books explaining how they came to be that way. But with her, um, she was really a kind of person who changed a lot yeah, and grew. And yeah, so yeah. there is a, a sense, and I got as I was writing this, I was really kind of um, growing up. It's exactly, growing up. and it, and I mean, it's yeah. sort of rare yeah. to actually kind of be able to tell a story about someone yeah. where you're not like headed towards some endpoint, yeah. you know, yeah. where you sort of don't know the ending of the story before you get there. Yeah, no, I think I really appreciated that. I mean, it, it, to, to be frank for all my readers out there, I haven't finished the book, but I've read what I've read, which is uh, maybe about, <laughs> uh, I would say over half, I've read it in one sitting. I mean, it's an incredible book to sit down with because you're like, wow, th- it's a real page turner in that, you know, Thank in that you. cliched way. Um, not only is Louisa the author, a beautiful writer, um, you know, but I think that complexity that you're bringing out and sort of allowing uh, your subject to be um, to be young and naive and confused and, and growing before the reader's eye, you know, because it's an extraordinary story. So here she is. She's going to John, John Quincy Adams is a big deal. Yeah. <laughs> we know that. Right. Yeah. And she's got a reputation for those of us who know a little bit about early American history as being, a, you know, a substantial woman, a great woman. But um but uh, but you're you're allowing her to not be that. I mean, she's sort of just emerging as this this person, and it's really fascinating. I mean, one of the things people often ask me what surprised me yeah. about her, and yeah. right. I I seems like everything seems like oh, you're really surprised. Exactly. By her. But one yeah. of the things I'm most surprised by is that um, she does a lot of her growing. You there's still more to come because as you read the book, yeah. she has a lot of her growing. Um, sort of like starting in middle age yeah because i don't like her so far yeah she's I only mean, like 38 she's <laughs> in russia okay well yeah, yeah, i mean this the, is actually this is a you're actually yeah. just Russia's at the, a big part of the growing I think, it's right? a huge part of the yeah. growing russia yeah. is is sort of the turning point in her life mm-hmm. um and i actually had this interesting experience where 
I had read her later letters before I'd read her uh, previous yeah. letters. Right. So I sort so of you're thinking of her as some kind of person. Exactly. Yeah. I sort of had the idea, the older idea, you know, where I'm like, oh, I know who this person is, you know. Yeah, right. And and then I go back and I read her earlier letters. I'm like, what have I done? You know, yeah. I can't write this book. You know, she's an idiot. Exactly. <laughs> um, well, that's yeah, that's what I really love about what you've done because the, I mean the. The, the the Louisa Catherine Adams that I know from the other books is the is the one that's involved. You know, she's the wife of the president. She's involved with the Jacksons and you know the whole thing. And uh, and this younger version is just completely new. And so, it, but it was really exciting to watch someone who you know in a lot of kind of conventional views of life is sort of done all her growing yeah suddenly like wake up i mean mm -hmm. she has this correspondence with um yeah. with john adams in the early the kind of early i hope 1820s. we can still grow in middle age i'm looking forward to my big growth spurt she when know. her kids go to college yeah. when her boys go to college she sort of uses this as an excuse to um go back to school herself in some ways she starts mm. learning latin you know yeah. she reads everything yeah. she wants to talk to john adams about you know, she, she writes letters about the Stoics. You know, she writes mm -hmm. letters about, she's read Burke. You know, she's read, uh, she reads like literary commentary. You know, she she's- She must have developed that confidence uh, over a long period of time, sort of gradually. I mean, in the sense that- Actually kind She's had conversations with John Q.A. a lot. Yeah, I mean- But when she's able to kind of branch out beyond him, that, you know, that's exact, gonna be the leap. I think, well, part of it is in, in Russia because he yeah. leaves her alone. Right. And she sort of has to sort of fend for herself and that's hard. Yeah. Um, I mean, I, I think that if I move to, you know, St. Petersburg, you know, right now and had a young child and one of my children died and, you know, and then they just left me and I couldn't really co communicate with them and well, I didn't speak the language. And, let's say that first. Yeah, exactly. Well, but it would be pretty hard, It'd right? Hard. And then yeah. he's like, yeah. hey, let's meet in Paris. Yeah. And like no instructions, right? A, it's so it's the middle of a war. Why not? Is sell <laughs> is just sell everything, and I'll meet you in Paris. And she's yeah. like, "Oh, what?" Yeah. So she has to like sell everything again. She doesn't speak Russian. You know, she doesn't have any kind of like. Well, they all speak French, right? In Russia. Well, they. Well, <laughs> so yeah, she, but she people. does all yeah. this, right? Yeah. So she. And she, she lives for a year by herself with her son, and she's in charge of his education. She's in charge yeah. of moving, you know, houses and all this stuff, and it's a lot of responsibility. And he also, he makes her executor of his his affair, yeah. business affairs. Yeah. I mean, mm -hmm. all this stuff where she just suddenly has this responsibility yeah. that she's never had. And then she has to make this journey from St. Petersburg to Paris. And like mid-journey, she learns that, you know, and she, this is over, this is during the Napoleonic Wars. Right. Yeah. The soldiers have crossed this, you know, the French soldiers have crossed this, and then the they were retreated and then the Russians side. have been chasing yeah. them. I mean, it's a ravaged, ravaged yeah. scene. Halfway through, she learns that Napoleon has escaped Elba and he's mm. heading towards Paris and all these men are mustering and ready so for is war. She. And she's heading to Paris too. Yeah. She's heading to Paris mm. and her male servants flee, flee in fear and like mm. she's like, okay, let's do it. Yeah. You know, and she yeah. just like has to kind of do it and she does it and it's amazing. Mm. And later that's on- That's where you came to fall in love with this character. You know, it's, I don't, that's. I didn't like it when she done it. I'm still waiting you know, to get there. I mean, first of all, I'm going to say, I find it really, I find her interesting partly because she was difficult. She's you a know? drama queen. She's, she's a younger. total she's a drama queen. She's always drama she's, queen. Uh, she's not going to outgrow that. I mean, admittedly, she's got a lot of real drama. I mean, a lot of horrible miscarriages. Yeah. She's clearly ill. She's dealing with a lot of issues. But she also is playing that up a lot, too. She I mean, does that. Like, oh, um, my 
She never well, stops that. But one thing yeah. that happens is that she becomes very self-aware. Yeah. And I find that very interesting. And well, she, she wasn't she always sort of self. I mean, she's some selfish, maybe a little. But what part of her story becomes about? You know, she's selfish in the way that like yeah, like people young, can be selfish, right? Person. Like she's sort of immature. In this and sense, you know? later on, she becomes interested in herself. Right. Not necessarily selfish, like because I'm not getting enough attention. I don't want these Why things. Why does that happen? Um, partly because she starts to sort of wonder what does it mean to be a member of this family? Yeah. You know, what okay. does it mean to be a oh, part of it has to do with women's the cultural rights? zeitgeist? Yeah. Where's, a lot of what's this has, that going on? So sort of think of like the Betty Friedan transitions or the move from like the late fifties into the seventies, like women all of a sudden thinking of themselves in completely different ways. Well, this happens to her. Yeah. I mean, it, it happens partly because she starts corresponding with these, um, this abolitionist, this prominent abolitionist who's a, a woman, and mm-hmm. she sort of starts to think about her own education and what it's lacked. Yes. And um, she starts to think about well, what just, is a woman's responsibility yeah. and what is, like, should women be involved in politics? And she starts thinking about free speech. Yeah, but she, and that being be, a, does she, be, she doesn't become a modern feminist. No, but in she starts. I mean, oh, for sure. And she would hate, yeah. be hate to yeah. be called that. Yeah. But she starts, you know, she starts writing about things like divorce, you know, and she yeah. starts kind of like... I would have been thinking about that immediately <laughs> John Quincy Adams. She has wow. to actually think about that earlier on. But um, <laughs> she uh, yeah. she starts, you know, she writes things like, you know, about not being a parrot, you know, echoing her husband. Right. She starts yes. writing statements about... And she writes that when she's the, 70. Though. Yeah. And no, but that's right. actually what yeah. I'm, I'm talking about. Yeah. Like, yeah. when she's in her 50s and, and 60s and 70s, she starts thinking about, mm-hmm. like, mm-hmm. what can women do? And, like, what why is it that she's sort of accepted for so long this yeah. idea that a woman is really limited and um you know is, is really kind of fragile and she's like am i fragile and what does it mean to be a woman and a lot of that does the illness drop off a little bit she stopped being ill no all the time. She, she's always yeah, ill. She's, but she lives forever and she's, she does, she's sickly, one of those women who <laughs> outlives everyone forever it's really annoying. she is one of those women who That's what strikes it. me as the kind of annoying part. you know i, I will say sickly, just get it over with I will say... Abigail Adams saw she was going to die in no time when she saw her, right? Yeah, that's true. This person is not going to last a winter in Boston. But but I will say in her defense, I mean, if it was somewhat played up, she also had pretty good reason. John Quincy only paid attention to her when she was sick, you know? And also... So is it a strategy? I mean, I'm also not sure that we can separate out, you know, what's conscious and unconscious and... period yeah so she writes three weird memoirs yeah right? so there's like three attempts at different points in her life to sort of reconstruct her life for herself and she's writing these for herself for her kids for posterity for what purpose all of the above yeah. um i mean i think that one of the things that's interesting to me about her is that she is complicated and she can yeah. be difficult but she ultimately decides to sort of say like look my life has meaning mm-hmm. and not in a selfish way like I feel ignored and, yeah, you know, right. but like, well, it's, what it's is my modern. life? It's a strangely yeah, exactly. modern move to I mean, sort of like, uh, you know, I'm somebody, uh, you know, but I'm not somebody, but I have thoughts and I have my own. So what does it mean? Kind of I mean, thing? this is what I'm sort of mean. Yeah. She becomes interested in herself. I mean, she is she marries an into user of, of my space. <laughs> kind of. Yeah. <laughs> but she marries into this family yeah. that you, when you become an Adams, like the identity, like you aren't being an Adams is all encompassing, mm. right? You, it means that you are 
identified with this kind of little spot in the earth yeah. means you're identified with your duty means like it just comes with all of yeah. these kind of requirements and like let's not forget that most of the atoms just like crumbled under the weight yeah. of this pressure you know yeah, right. and very one a generation sort of like fulfilled you know the demands of it but the rest kind of had yeah, really I mean, sad the lives of jqa had a tough time for sure charles obviously and, and so what she did was sort of be like wait a second you know like how can I be an individual? You know, how can I be an individual in this family? How can I be an individual in this marriage? Should I be an individual? Like, what would that mean? Did what would that mean for Abigail a woman? Did she and Abigail Adams ever come to like each other? Yes. Come on, stop. Yeah. I don't believe it. Really? What happens? Well, what happens? I'll have to get to that. I'll have to wait to see that part of the book. I like the early version where they don't like each other. Well. You know, that's nice. Because she doesn't like Abigail uh, for a good reason. Yeah, for Abigail's sure. Abigail's a pain, too. Yeah. Um, <laughs> well, she... I, John Quincy, when he becomes Secretary of State, um, doesn't have time to write his mother long letters. So she takes over the role. And that's when they become yeah, okay. closer. Right. I wouldn't say they right. were ever right. best she keeps, friends. She keeps the news coming, right. But, and um, she comes to respect the news, you know, the quality of it and the but, role that Louise is playing. Yeah. yeah. She and John Adams become very close. Yeah. She and John Adams have a really special relationship. Mm -hmm. And I actually think that that relationship is really critical in her growth mm, mm -hmm. and that happens when they get back to the u.s so you've got something coming all right well i'm looking forward to that for sure i mean the the um i really love the portrait of louisa that you paint as someone uh, who's now has to set up a household in boston yeah and really has no idea how to <laughs> do it it's sort of like i've been trained to be a genteel woman with servants who can sing and be you know witty at a party and dance all night, but I have no idea how to balance the books and you know run a household in, in America. She later yeah. uh, she writes was much more at home in the Prussian court than in you know Boston as a genteel woman. Absolutely, she later writes, "Where was I supposed to have learned to milk a cow at the card table in the Prussian court?" Yeah, um, I love and, that. Yeah, yeah, I love that yeah, too. And and her her portrait of Quincy, yeah. Um, yeah. and I'm sh I I also have to just stop and acknowledge that. I know it's pronounced Quincy. Yeah. I automatically pronounce it Quincy. So uh, yeah. apologies to uh, the good Quincy, people of yeah. Quincy. Quincy. Um, it's near Framingham. Yeah, I mean, I've been there. It's great, <laughs> great place. Is it? Um, the old house is amazing. Yeah. You know, I, I encourage everyone to. It's it's a, it's the cool thing about that place is that there were so many generations of Adamses. Mm. But there's a weird kind of like archaeological aspect to walking through because yeah. there are these kind of like dig layers <laughs> you yeah, know yeah. you can sort of watch the country change you know yeah. over a course of 100 years so um but um, how much did space affect you as you were writing the book did you travel to a lot of these places that she was and try to get the zeitgeist get the feeling of it um it did and didn't i didn't make it to st petersburg unfortunately because i couldn't get a visa in time mm -hmm. i i did a lot of research in berlin um and I went to London. Yeah, Berlin was in, interesting. So, uh, you know, obviously we kind of know Berlin in the yeah. post World War, the World War Two, and then the, the second half of the 20th century Berlin. But I don't have any conception of Berlin in the early 19th century. It's great to read about it and learn what you did. That was a fascinating time yeah. to be there, I think. And yes. I also think it was an Enlightenment city. Right, it was a new exactly. city in a way. It was laid out to Re be in renewed. I yes. Guess. Yeah. Um, yeah. But I, I, I think that space was and wasn't important in the sense that you know so much i mean if you i 
I drive by her old house on F Street all the time, and it's an office building. I mean, it's not you, you can't kind of walk back into time, and it's a good reminder that you can't. You know, you can't you pretend can do that, that in Mount Vernon. you can do that in Mount Vernon Please exactly. And she and she visited, so mm-hmm. we are we are stepping in her to her footsteps. Um, yeah, that, that, that's one of the extraordinary things about this place is that uh, um, it, it isn't just the, the George Washington story and all the people who were here, but it's all the people who visited, you know, who've come. And it's been a mecca for Americans for 200 years. So. And she came after George Washington died, yeah. you know, so it's right. it's right. kind of a, it was an ongoing. Um, yeah, well, he was buried here. So yeah. it was yeah. come to commune with the, with the two of them, Martha and George. Yeah. So I think um, it was a. Uh, an important place for her actually it was a kind of it was one of the first places she went when she arrived in the united states she came here weeks after right. week after she arrived really yeah not the first time yeah with, with, 1801 with, really yeah so he was, was martha still alive Did yeah she, just she met she met mary custis okay same beauty uh martha no what who's it custis well they uh nelly custis. nelly custis oh, yeah. nelly yeah. custis so yes. martha's daughter martha's yeah. daughter yeah so right. she visited who also played piano. Yeah. Piano. Well, we had, she had a lovely time. Yeah. Yeah. So she didn't like Quincy so much. She When she arrives in Quincy, yeah, Quincy. this is actually a story I was going to tell us. So she comes to Mount Vernon and she's like, okay, this is America. I can do this. Right. <laughs> yeah, I've seen this that. is really nice. Yeah. Um, and then she goes up to Quincy and it's like Thanksgiving. It's like yeah. November, November raining, brutal. brutal. And it's. And she doesn't know what Thanksgiving is. And right. she also just like all it's Puritan kind of custom. So they go to a meeting. And she's like an Episcopalian tradition kind of yeah, well, yeah, girl, English you know, and uh, and there's just all this like, you know, instead of singing, they it's sort of chant. They call it a meeting and, rather than going to church. And she refers to these all these snide ways. She's like, yeah. what they call meeting, you know, or like what they call singing. <laughs> and she describes like Uncle Peter snuffling through his nose, and you know, yeah. it's kind of like weird. She, scene. Was, she was known as having a beautiful voice too. So yeah, and she um, country church uh, hymns. She she wrote, um, "Had I stepped onto Noah's Ark, I could not have been more astonished." <laughs> <You know? laughs> that's great, and that's a. I mean, I think that's such a vivid picture of her sort of sense of alienation from this place that she was like, "Okay, this is now where you're from." You know, I mean, not, imagine the weirdness of that. You know. Yeah, no, that's amazing. So, all right, so let's fast forward to uh, the her as a first lady. So, sure. what was she like as uh, the wife of the president, John Quincy Adams? The most she, popular president that America had after his dad. Well, I would say that um, <laughs> the president, we put so much emphasis on the presidency now, um, right. partly because of George Washington. But, um, you know, at the time, uh, it didn't have the kind of, it wasn't the sort of be all end all that it is now. The executive power was actually regarded with a lot of suspicion. Mm-hmm. Um, and John Quincy's presidency was the nadir of his life. Mm-hmm. Um, I would also call it the nadir of her life. Mm-hmm. I mean, it really? was huh. um, it was a really unhappy time um, for both of them, and he got nothing done, and she was miserable, and she was not at all an active first lady. Um, she, which is surprising, you'd think, given all her experience in courts, she's now the queen essentially of the court. Well, this is actually the interesting thing about this is yeah. that when in the eight years prior to that, when he is a right. The leading candidate for the presidency, yeah. she is the queen of Washington. Yeah, she is the leading social. She's the dominant social figure. She is. And yeah, she put. She calls it her campaign. She calls it her yeah. campaign, and because she, she knows what she's after, which is getting John Q. A. the highest political office and, in the land. 
and he is considered cold and aloof and right. even like a little repulsive and right he's he, not playing the game he won't play the game and so she plays it for him and she does it really well mm -hmm. so what's interesting in this is that hey, she you kick it off you kick off the book with a great story about the uh the ten-year anniversary of the Battle of New Orleans. Yeah, so and they she's gonna be she's gonna be there with Jackson, but they're not gonna make it about Jackson. So, so yeah, they do this amazing thing yeah. where you weren't supposed to campaign in those days. It was called electioneering. It was considered craven. Right. Um, and John Quincy hated it, but you uh, kind of had to do it, especially yeah. because in Washington, you know, you have to remember that the the people who were gonna choose the president in 1824 were all in Washington. Right. Yeah. You know, this is like it was going to they knew even then that it was going to be chosen probably by the House. Yeah. And um, so everybody who mattered was there. So and they knew that no one would get a majority of electoral. Yes. Right. There are too so many candidates. Th remember, people out there, the election of 1824. Chosen the by the House. The first one without a Virginian running. <laughs> uh, you know, you, nobody knows who's going to win. No region will dominate. So it will go to the House. So and and but Jackson has this really unfair advantage, which is that he has a national he's holiday popular. for him. Yeah. He is actually popular, <laughs> and he is a hero, and he's a war hero. And yeah. there is the Battle of Anna. Hasn't been a general in a while. Exactly, and the the Battle of the New Orleans yeah. uh, was this kind the of like only victory of the War of eighteen twelve. Yeah, well, <laughs> happened after the end of the War of eighteen twelve, which was incidentally negotiated by John Quincy Adams, but we don't know. One of, among others, but um. So you're a Quincy Adams fan. We'll get to that in a moment. But okay. Well, okay. I am a I am a fan of the rest of his right. career, his not of his of his presidency. Right. Um. Anyway, so sh they do this kind of really kind of canny thing, which is that they say, okay, like is this going to be Jackson's day? Yeah. You know. Uh, you know, I, I say this in the book, but it was sort of Andrew Jackson's day, and it was her night. So they throw this party. A thousand people come. I mean, they're like, mm. you can't even imagine this party. There are 40 bonfires like lining the way. You know, there's this incredible party um, and all of the kind of like emotional. And it's the, such an amazing party that people are writing stories of it 50 years later. I mean, it's mm. just kind of like the, the social event, you know, of the yeah. century in some ways. And and the newspapers all kind of run this poem about it. Um, the morning of it and it ends all are gone to Mrs. Adams, mm -hmm. you know, and, and, and she knows, you know, what this is about. Yeah. So she's become the hostess with the most. Yeah. She's the hostess with the most. But here's the thing. When they become. Do they live in Georgetown still at that point? Or they, on F Street. Okay, so they live right a block right. from the White House. Right. right yeah. So. Um, so right at the center of town. Yeah, exactly. And, and, you know, when she gets this house, which she, by the way. She is all of, by then she's like in charge, you know, before John Quincy would never trust her with anything. Right. Now she's like hiring contractors. She's like right. building a ballroom is the first thing she does. Mm -hmm. You know, she knows what this is all about. Mm -hmm. And, um, and the thing is that she's, she plays this really kind of big, important, active role. And it's, it's acknowledged by the rest of Washington. I mean, and in a snide way, because yeah. a woman was not supposed to do this. And there are all these letters, you know, you know, Thomas Hubbard writing home, like, I wish you to his wife, I wish you were here to, uh, you know, to, to watch, you know, Mrs. Oh, Adams playing politician, yeah, you, you know, all yeah. this stuff. Yeah. Um, and when John Quincy becomes president, um, he being incredibly obtuse and also anti, <laughs> like, he really has this kind of aversion to being liked. Yeah. You know, and he yeah. doesn't, he wants, he is like the ultimate meritocrat, you know, right. so he wants to be oh, seen as independent. He sees it all as fake. Yeah. He's sort of like the end result of the whole kind of like 
George Washington Cato idea that, yeah. you know, you're supposed right. to like be self-sacrificing and you're supposed to right. sort of not do anything for your own gain and all yeah. this stuff. Right. So the best way to She's prove that is to be unliked, right? right. If you can succeed yeah. and be unliked, then you're not doing it off of popularity. You're doing it off of your own kind of like Yeah, your merit. own merit. Right? Yeah. It's not some sort of uh, a falseness that is required to like, make small talk. So he yeah. kind of like... Extraordinary. She, he lets her sort of do this to become president because yeah. that's what you have so to do. So he doesn't become president without her. Right. For sure. I mean, I, it's a strong statement, a, but I, I, think I think that's, that's true. Right. I think I mean, that is probably ass. right. He is an ass. And his father was a bad president, and everybody knew that. So why would <laughs> you, you know, what are you doing? So when he becomes president, yeah. he sort of like claims this incredible mandate. Right. <laughs> because yeah. he, he doesn't that. actually <laughs> believe that you need to have like popular legitimacy. Yeah. He doesn't believe in popular <laughs> legitimacy. Okay. He actually believes in like the opposite of that. Yeah. So when he becomes president, he's like, he, his first exactly rule. you know yeah. and he gives this incredible you know he lays out this vision of this kind of like activist federal government in which he like and yeah. I'm gonna say like a lot of this stuff was really smart ideas and a lot of like yeah. his Internal vision of the country national university national observatories it yeah. is the country that we live in now yeah. in its best sense so right. he was right but he did it all the wrong way and he was like I don't need anyone's help including my wife <laughs> you know and she, yeah. who has, like, played a really important role, is suddenly, like, sent to her room, you know. And, or she does this to herself, too, because I think also the campaign is really um, exhausting and, yeah. and difficult. And, and she's, she's, sick. she's sick. And he, she's criticized a lot. How old is she at this point? Uh, she's, she's, like, not getting pregnant every other week. She's, like, 50. Because she got pregnant a she lot. Got, she gets pregnant um, during the campaign, actually. Really? Yeah, she miscarries. Her final pregnancy. How many miscarries does she have? She has like really hard to count. Yeah, no, yeah, it's really hard to count because they call like illness right. pregnancy, but it, you know, it's estimated between eight and twelve. Hmm. Oh, brutal. Yeah. And these are not like no, I know they, you know yeah, three week miscarriages. Yeah, these are like you know ugh. sad. Anyhow, um, okay, so so she has a terrible time. He's ineffective politically. Uh, the campaign, the next campaign's really nasty. Yeah. One of the nastiest so in American is, history. And that's part of the reason also she withdraws even more. And it's a four-year thing for Jackson. Yeah. Right? Everybody always says that. Oh, he starts running the next day, you right. know. Right. And um, and their family is, like, falling apart mm. during this. I mean, one of the stories, I mean, people, you can t say what you will about John Quincy's presidency, but mm. if you actually don't also focus on, like, what's happening in his personal life, mm. you don't know the full story because he's really kind of um, – their son has real mental health problems and he is really preoccupied with mm -hmm. as as a father would be you know mm -hmm. and this is kind of if you only focus on his political accomplishments and non-accomplishments you you miss that part of the story mm -hmm. yeah well i think that what i love about your book and people who do this well where you have the whole family as part of the story it really helps you understand the political moments much more clearly I mean, I, yeah, I really... We, you know, just, well, why didn't this happen or why didn't that happen? But, oh, this person's wife had just died. Yeah, but, no, know, exactly. I mean, two weeks later and they're supposedly, you know, they screw something up. Yeah, it's... It, I mean, this is... Uh, I mean, if you think about any person you know, you know, their life affects their work. You know, it, that's just 100% yeah. yeah. true. And, but well, you don't well, know that when you're... But, I mean, so we do a lot of leadership events here at the library and we talk about George Washington's leadership and these corporate groups and military groups and... And, and many times the question will come up because she doesn't get enough airtime when you're having these conversations about George is Martha. You know? yeah. So what, 
what you know what is some of the significance of Martha and there's many reasons why she's incredibly significant I mean I think that um, not only does she bring all that wealth into his life and make it make him into somebody right but she gives a lot of stability to his life and 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 one part of that story is this is this lack of drama this notion right. that he doesn't have a chaotic personal life um, and she's one of the major reasons for that I mean we all know that if you're if your private life is unstable and challenging, then that's going to affect your ability to function you right. know, in your other, your business life, your professional life, whatever. And it can affect it in different ways, positive and negatively. I mean, yeah, it's yeah. not just like, yeah. it, right. you know, it's not like a one-to-one, right. you know. <laughs> but it's not. It, and mean, it evolves. It's evolving exactly. all the time. And it's not like good or bad. All yeah. But it, but it is a factor. But I mean, yeah. even if, even beyond the sort of like, are good things happening, bad things happening? I mean, I talk a lot about their relationship with slavery in this book and in a way that I don't think anyone has talked about when they write about John Quincy even though John Quincy is so such a huge figure in the anti-slavery movement people don't actually that last act as a congressman yeah exactly and And, and so he becomes the first sort of anti-slavery congressman of note of note yeah there are other ones but he is sort of like becomes the figurehead he's a former president yeah Um, but nobody actually looked at like his actual interactions with slaves before. I mean, it seems so obvious, right? Yeah. But like yeah. looking at the slaves that were not, he'd never owned slaves, but the slaves that were in his household. I mean, yeah. that's the kind of, that's the kind of thing where if you are just reading his diary, you don't see that stuff yeah. until actually you look outside of him and look at his family and his relationships. And then you actually start to see that there are kind of references and things like that to, to people who are, either slaves or likely slaves in his mm. in his diary. And yeah. if you don't actually have the context of his family and personal life. Yeah, then you can miss that. You miss that, totally. Well, let's talk about Louise's trajectory with slavery then. So this is a woman who grows up in, in England. There isn't any slavery right. in England in 75, after the Somerset decision even. Uh, and of course, you know, she's born then. But her, her uh, American family uh, are Marylanders. They're slave owners. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, so where and, and I guess it's not until she moves to America that she lives in a society where there are slaves. But that even takes her a while because she's in Boston first and there's no slavery there. So, yeah, I mean, so she gets to D.C. is the first time yeah. she gets in Georgetown. Yep. She lives in Georgetown. She meets slaves. Yeah. Um, so, so what does she think? And she uses them clearly. Absolutely. And so does John Quincy. Yeah. So John Quincy, the great anti-slavery crusader. Right. They live with her um, brother-in-law and her sister. And yeah. they have slaves, and those right. slaves, I uh, would be shocked if John Quincy refused to have well, yeah. anything to do with them. Yeah, exactly. Dying out, like you're being served by absolutely. You order something people. from the grocery store; it's delivered by yeah. slaves. I mean, they were just so um, woven into this. I mean, it was this kind of unseen, invisible thing. If you just read history they're from this in kind the sense of that they're not constantly talking about slaves, exactly right? not only you not constantly talking about like, them oh i just ran into some slaves today and this is what it was like you or know? you know sometimes yeah. they are talking about them but if, but if we are reading them from if you're not reading these things looking for them it's like the john quincy adams diary you don't even see that they're right. there let me yeah. you read letters and and these so for instance these congressmen lived at these boarding houses right yeah and right. a lot of these boarding houses you were given um, room and board and a boy. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You were assigned a slave, mm-hmm. you know? And this person would brush out your clothes in the right. morning yeah. and all this stuff. And it didn't matter if you were a Northern Congressman, yeah. it didn't matter if you are anti-slavery or pro-slavery, like 
and well, but it's an expected part of life and i mean it's like when you're in britain there's a there's a there's servants to the end that exactly are in the same fashion and it's really an expectation of somebody to be doing that kind of work exactly they're slaves in in uh, in america in that place and time yeah. and it's really but if you until you just see how implicated every single person in washington is every yeah. single person mm-hmm. pro-slavery anti-slavery you just start to realize oh my God, like this is horrific, you know. Well, so where does Louisa? How did so? How does she change over? Sorry, time? that yeah, yeah this is no, where no, we began. Yeah. <laughs> um, well, she begins with she calls them English feelings. She's anti-slavery, mm-hmm. um, but she's also very defensive about her Johnson bona fides, mm-hmm. and she's also kind of defines herself as a southerner, you know, because she wants to be really? not Adams. Yeah. And so she has a complicated relationship with them because. On the one hand, she is anti-slavery and doesn't believe that human beings should be, you know, treated as property chattel. On the other hand, her sisters, who are her best friends, have slaves. Mm -hmm. Um, She obviously lives among slaves and doesn't blink about it for most of her life, you Mm -hmm. know. And later in her life, she, especially as she starts to think, this is part of her also, like, like I said, she kind of starts wondering about being a woman. Right. She also starts really thinking about, like, what does slavery mean? And the, the sure. first sign of this is the Missouri um, Compromise. Yeah, when yeah. This is also the first, like, flair for a lot of, you know, Washington politics, right. you know, in the early republics. Yeah. So, and she writes John Adams. She's like, what do you think? Mm-hmm. You know? Mm-hmm. And he writes a stirring condemnation of slavery. And she, she's like, I don't, you know, she's anti-slavery, but she's conflicted. And Part of her conflict has to do with, you know, she writes this kind of anguished thing about, like, all my family is against me. Mm-hmm. And for her, that's really painful, you know. And Yeah, right. Um, so she's on the wrong. The relationship with her family is a really interesting theme for yeah. the book. So she, this is one of the areas. She loves them, and, and she, she's sort of blind to the failures that they've had. Oh, she for sure. She sort of blames other people. Yeah, absolutely. Tries to see them in the best possible light, particularly her father. And this is one of these areas in which. Which is not unusual. Yeah. It's human, you know. This is one of those areas in which, on the one hand, you know, on the whole, I think she was going in the right direction, but on the, but it's still like you cannot, you cannot close your eyes to the fact that she said terrible things, you know, and Mm. I think had, I wish she were different in this way, but you can't hope that someone is. Yeah, right. I mean, that's not the, you could write fiction. Exactly. If you want. Exactly. That's a different exercise. But it's interesting because I think a lot of people do write fiction when they write about the Adamses and slavery and things like that. Not that they're writing fiction, but there is a best. There's hagiography. Yeah, exactly. But there's also like a best, there's a way to read things for the best possible version of things. And that's not always how things played out. Like, for instance, you know, she uh, would rent a slave and that person would be a servant. She would pay her. You know, Julia. Yeah, right, yeah. And mm-hmm. so this person was, on the one hand, she was saving up money to buy her freedom. Right. And when her, you know, and at some point, Julia's owner, who's a Virginian, mm-hmm. brute, as Louisa calls him, um, decides that Julia cannot be rented out anymore. And Louisa wants to raise money to buy her freedom. Right. And on the one hand, like, you could tell that story and people have is, like, kind of inspiring. Right. On the other hand, you could be like, what the hell? First of all, Louisa can afford to buy this woman's freedom, yeah. you know? And yeah. also... Just buy the freedom. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I mean, she doesn't want to be too involved. And, you know, it's just like... No, it's, it's tough. You know. I mean, she's a politician's wife, too. Yeah. I mean, it's not, she's not a crusader yet, particularly at that period, for sure. I mean, so... So there are, I mean, yeah. there are all these moments where you sort of run up against this kind of, like, 
uncomplicated moral mm. issue in a complicated, you well, know, it's time. uncomplicated to us in 2000 and like what is it? 2017. But it was also uncomplicated in some ways to John Quincy Adams. So yeah, but like, everything was uncomplicated. <laughs> Adams was, I mean, he was so self-righteous and so yeah. stoic and so black and white and Manichaean. But he was also, and he, and he was willing to turn a blind eye at certain times. I mean, well, Joy right. was cooking well, his food, well, exactly. too. You know, exactly. Well, he didn't buy her freedom. Well, exactly. So it's, it's black and white, but then it's not. I mean, and I think that, uh, you know, we all of us are hypocrites at some level. I mean, I certainly, um, you know, it, it, somebody said a famous line. I don't know, maybe it's famous. I didn't become a true hypocrite until I had uh, children. You know, yeah. Sort of like Although, you tell your kids to do this, that, and the other, and you're like, well, I'm not doing that. Yeah, I mean, it is, and it's also possible to see, like, what are going to be the moral issues. Yeah. I mean, I is, it's is it possible to see? I think there's a lot of them out there that people, you know, they're sort of like, what did you do about climate? You know, right. you run an air conditioner. Or, like, do you have Apple products? Did you know that those yeah. were made by slaves in China? Right. Like, where you know, are I mean, it, from? yeah, are you exactly. Are sure you know where all those clothes are made and who they were made by? What are you doing about sex trafficking? What do you do about. The homeless people that you pass by on the street. At we the same time, society of incredible. I'm not doing any moral equivalencing on slavery here. There's no like. Not at all. Look, not at all. Not at all. It's a, you know, but it's sort of like we expect people yeah. who lived 200 years ago to you know to be better than we are in our own moment in time. Um, but that was also but, one of the fascinating things about writing yeah. this book because instead of seeing John Quincy as this kind of like towering moral figure when it comes to slavery right. you see him as a human being embedded yeah. in a certain city and a certain moment in history and that yeah. felt actually like well that's the reality yeah the both the reality and also like okay this is actually like a contribution yeah, right. <laughs> you know like I mean, this is actually like you yeah, because the, you know in biography in particular it's all i mean we see it a lot in george washington scholarship as well and um, and it's hard because you do admire these people and you admire what they've done and you want to tell those stories and you also want to tell the bad, but in a way that's balanced and you know. It, it, but it um, you know it, it's what's so nice about being able to write a four hundred and fifty yeah. page book though, right? I'm gonna say I life is complex. It's true. I wanted to write a two hundred page book. I really, really at the start yeah. of this. Well, they all tell you, well, make it two hundred pages. I right. I really was like, no. I think I even said, no one needs to read a five hundred page biography of Louisa Catherine Adams. And at the end of it, you know, four fifty eight. There you go. Well, that includes acknowledgments, so it's really only four fifty five. But it's a brilliant read. It's an easy read. It's well sourced, although. Uh, it, Penguin apparently is against footnotes. Those of us True. In, the, in the historical <laughs> game uh, do sort of like those, but they're all there in the back. And notes, yeah. Yeah, yeah and notes. They're they're all there. And, and really, I just have to say congratulations to you, Louisa, Louisa, the author on Louisa the <laughs> book, because it's really, uh, it, it's really quite a book, and um, I, I I can't wait to finish it. I look forward to hearing you tonight. Appreciate it very much. So thank you so much for spending time with us. Um, I would have liked to talk more about. Sports, but we're we're out of. We'll have to do that when you're next. <laughs> I look forward to it. All right, thanks a lot. We hope you enjoyed this week's discussion. The Washington Library looks forward to continuing these conversations about our early American history. Please visit mountvernon.org/library to learn more about the library's resources and programs. And remember, Mount Vernon is open 365 days a year and looks forward to welcoming you. Thank you and we'll see you next week.